One more passage this morning as we come to the sermon. Psalm 116. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my supplications. Because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon Him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me. And the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears. My feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. O may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together for a second. For a second. Teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and we shall observe them to the end. Give us understanding this morning that we may observe your law and keep your law with all our hearts. Open up our eyes, Father, that we might behold wonderful things as we read and study this morning. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this, um, I will tell you, some of you guys weren't at Steve Crutchfield's funeral. Um, And this is the text I preached at the funeral. But um, I have a whole lot more to say than I said at that, in that sermon. (laughs) So I'm going to preach the full, a full sermon not just what I preached at the funeral, but this is something that uh, some of some of the folks were not able to be there, and I wanted uh, the ones who were not there to hear some of these things as well. But in Psalm one sixteen, we have a psalm written by a man who's in the midst of extremity. Uh, in the funeral sermon, I made the comment that I only knew Steve when he was in the extremity of his weakness. Some of you only knew Steve when he was in his later part, the later part of his life. I never knew him when he was a teacher. He told me about being a coach. He told me about teaching people how to play baseball. He told me about being an educator. But I only knew him when he was going and, and having to deal with dialysis and sickness. And we prayed for him on a regular basis. And the same thing is here in Psalm 116. We have a man who's close to death, just like Steve many times in the last 18 months before he died, was close to death. And then he was delivered. 
And in verse 3, we see the cords of death, the psalmist says, encompassed me and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. And then in verse 4, he says he's desperately in need of salvation. Verse 6, he says he's brought low. Verse 8, dealing with tears. Verse uh, verse 8, dealing with tears. Verse 8, stumbling. Verse 10, afflicted. Verse 11, alarmed and dealing with enemies. And then on the other hand, once he's delivered, he says in verse 1, I love the Lord. After he says, I love the Lord, he's full of prayer. He's full of praise. He's calling on the name of the Lord. Did you hear that three or four times there in Psalm 116? He's full of thoughts, great thoughts and great facts about God flowing through his mind. God is gracious and merciful and compassionate. He's ready to pay his vows personally. He's ready to pay his vows most especially publicly before God's people. Did you read what it said there several times? In Psalm 116, he says that in the courts of the Lord's house, that's where he wants to do it. Yes, personally, yes, privately, but in the courts of the Lord's house, that's where he wants to pay his vows, in the presence of all God's people. And this is our life. I think one of the statements I say all the time, not just because I like to watch the movie, but it is the best of times and it is the worst of times, I think I say that regularly. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at David's life. And we will be looking at his life again tonight. And we saw that David goes out and he kills Goliath. And he, he wins the people's hearts and they love him. And guess who else loves him? The king's son, Jonathan, loves him. And the Lord loves him. But there's one person who starts to hate him. And it's the king himself, Saul. I want you to know that David is being loved. His name is up in lights. And I'm sure there's vendors all around town selling plastic slings and smooth stones to everybody. And this grieves Saul because he hears the music. The country music is playing. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of of thousands. And this makes Saul uh, angry and jealous. And so on the one hand, God is favoring David with a close friend named Jonathan. On the other hand, God is favoring David with an enemy to stalk him and to pursue him and to teach him to pray when he's even in caves to God and depend on him. I said this and I think this is fabulous. Remember in Jonah chapter 4 that God provided Jonah with with a vine of comfort from the sun and from all the heat. And then God provided Jonah with a worm to gnaw it down. And the same thing's happening in David's life. He has a friend of comfort named Jonathan. And God sends this gnawing worm to gnaw away at his comfort the whole time in order to teach him not to trust in the comfort, but in order to teach him to trust in God alone. It's the best of times and it's the worst of times. And we see this in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ as well. One of the things that... uh, Pastor Sumter's sitting right over here. And one other thing, we were, we were talking to somebody out uh, the other day. We were knocking on some doors. And one of the things I said to this young man, I said, you know, Jesus loved. He loved God's Word. He fed on it. He acted like it was food. And when you go out and you obey God, there's a satisfaction 
that we we get that we can't even explain. Jesus said, "My food, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me." And so Jesus has joy out there set before Him, like a woman who's going to have a baby. She has joy out there set before her. She can't wait till that baby's born. But oh my, she's got to go through the labor to have the baby. But once the labor's over and all the pain is over, we forget the pain and we have the joy. And the same thing is set in front of Jesus. Jesus has joy. God the Father has given him people, and he's, but he's got to go through cro- the cross work to get those people and to save his people. So there's these extremes. There's cro- the cross. <laughs> there's the crushing. There's the pain. And then comes the joy. And this is what we see in Psalm 116. Now, here's a question. The title of the sermon is Preserved from Death. Why does God preserve us from a premature death? And I'm going to give you three points. First, to teach you that you are precious to Him. Look at verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. Now, this doesn't mean that when the Lord, when one of one of his godly ones dies, that he's pleased. What it means is this. Godly ones are precious to God. That's what it means. Godly ones, faithful ones, ones who love him, they are precious in his sight. I like that. And that goes along with uh, 189. Jesus loved me. This I know. They are precious in his sight. Valuable stones. Diamonds. People who are weighty. When we see those balances, you put something that's weighty, it, it brings the scale down. Weighty in God's sight are His godly ones. You are weighty ones. Here the psalmist is prevented from dying. Hunters are seeking his life and God present, prevents this death. The Lord foils the plans of the enemies. How many times did David, was he surrounded by death? I think, I think, maybe you could add more, but I'm, I know that many writers say David um, was saved from death at least 15 times. Now, we could argue about some other times. <laughs> but at least 15 times, Saul tried to kill David. Three times, he tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, and he wasn't just doing practice. It wasn't practice. He was trying to kill him. Then he runs from Saul, and Saul has 3,000 crack soldiers coming after him, and the Lord prevented him then from killing David. And then there was his son Absalom. If y'all remember the story about Absalom, he had that beautiful long hair. He used to have it cut, and he'd weigh it. (laughs) How prideful can you get? I'm sure he was a good-looking man. He had a chariot, 50 men, and he used to sit, stand out there in front of all the people at the gates and tell people how much he loved them and how he would do if he was the king and he won the people's hearts away from his father and then he went after his own father to put him to death and God prevented it. Think about Simon Peter. James, Herod had put James to death and he saw how happy it made all the people to put one of those disciples or apostles to death and so the next person on the chopping block was Peter But God saved Peter. An angel opened the the door for Peter and brought him out and saved him alive, preventing his death. Your life, if you are one of God's precious ones, your life is valuable to God. And he will not permit your death to occur prematurely. One commentator put it this way. He said, when one of God's godly ones dies, it grieves him. Why would it grieve him? 
Well, think about it. Because we've just said you're valuable. You've been bought with a price. You do not belong to yourself. Maybe you need to say that to yourself about ten times every morning. You have been bought with a price. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to God. Your name has been written on His hand and that ink is not coming off. I had a friend who wanted to get rid of plenty of his, um, some of his tattoos. <laughs> and he got to where he went to this doctor that I was training, a, a dermatologist. And the dermatologist, after he charged him $5,000, he said he could do it for free. <laughs> anyway, this ink's not coming off. You're on his hand, folks. You love him. He loves you. It means that he thinks about you more than you think about him. It means that he knows everything about you. Not just the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. And if you die, one of his shining ones, if you die, one of these, these image bearers, you're an image bearer of God. One of his image bearers is no longer on the earth shining in this crooked and perverse generation. One of his salt persons, salty persons, preserving this place from corruption. You're not on the earth anymore. One of the people in this room, if you die, there's a person no longer seeking after his kingdom first and loving his will first and loving his neighbor and loving all those around us. You are in this world, but you're not of it. And now you're not in it anymore. And it grieves him. And it also, it grieves us. You know, from another point perspective, we can say, yes, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so the Lord can say, yes, he's glad you're in his presence. But in another way, we know the Lord feels the loss of it. One of his people's no longer on the earth. From our perspective, we feel loss just the same way. Think about the empty seat at the table. I'm, there's an empty seat in this room right now. I want that man back. <laughs> I kind of do. I'm okay, Lord, with it. Right? But I, I'm, there's an empty seat at the table. There are people in our lives we oriented our lives around. They supported us. They encouraged us. We went, we went on holidays with them, and it was all about them arranging the whole thing. And when they're not there anymore, it doesn't happen. I don't go to family reunions anymore because... Grandma is not there to set it up. She was the glue. And we have people that we surround and we have people that we orient our lives around and when they're gone, we suffer a loss. Think about the loss of Moses when he died. Israel was without their leader. Israel was without their mediator. This is a man who led them. Think about this. He stood up and said, me for them. God said, let me start over with you, Moses, and let me put all of my people to death. I'll start over just with you. And he argued with God about it. Where do you, how do you replace a, a man like this? And then you've got the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. And when they died, surely these were heavy blows to the church. These were men who prayed and men who preached and men who read the word. And how many sermons did this man Paul preach? Over and over. And the Lord grieves and we grieve too when we lose our godly ones. The Lord is not uh, here thwarted in any of his plans. But it is to say that when we lose somebody of value to us, we hurt, we grieve over it. We grieve, we've lost someone who... 
read the Bible to us. We lost someone who sat down and drank coffee with us. We lost someone who cared for us and nurtured us. We rejoice for their lives and we mourn their loss. Well, first of all, we understand that the Lord preserves our lives from premature death to teach us that we're precious to Him. And second, to teach us to pray. The psalmist was at the point of death. He said, I love the Lord. But do you see why? Do you see why he loves the Lord? He says there in verse 1, I love the Lord because he hears my my voice and my supplications. Verse 2, because he has inclined his ear to me. God preserves our lives through means. God uses the means of prayer. The Lord can work tonight. We're going to see that the Lord can work by means and he can work apart from means. He doesn't have to have means, <laughs> but he works here by means. And the means that he uses are prayer. Let me give a little poke and stab at something here. There are some things that I am praying for as if they can only happen because I'm praying. There are things. This church, I am going to pray that God will make this church a particular church and I'm going to act like it depends on my prayers. There are things, you see, are you with me? It's, I know God has to build the church. I know that God has to add the people. But I'm going to pray like it's all about me doing this. It's all about me and Him using my means and me getting down on my knees and my feebleness in my prayer. I'm going to pray for new visitors. I'm going to pray for people who will see the website and go, hey, I'm interested in that church. I'm going to pray for kids as if it all depends on my prayers. Now I know it doesn't. But I'm going to pray like it is. The psalmist says when he was in the straits, When he was at Rock Boulevard and Hard Place Avenue, he called on the name of the Lord. And these are the words that he uses. He says this, O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. And the Lord inclined his ear and saved him out of his affliction. Think about how many times Steve Crutchfield was preserved by our prayers. I was preserved by prayers before I got here. But I did enter into these prayers. Think about Jacob. He is wrestling out there at the ford of the Jabbok. And he knows his brother's coming. And the last time he saw his brother, his brother was going to kill him. And he's wrestling with the Lord. And the children of Israel in Exodus 2.23, they cried out of that pit called Egypt for God to help them. And Peter was near death, as we said earlier. And the people are praying back at the house. I don't know how many were there. And then he was released and the Lord, he not only did he save Jacob from death and he saved Israel out of the pit. But remember that story about about Peter. So the angel leads him out of there and he thinks he's he thinks it's a dream. He goes back to the house. He knocks on the door. Rhoda comes to the door and she doesn't believe it's him. She goes back and says, Peter's at the door. But they don't have they're praying for it. The answer's at the door. They're still praying. The answer's already at the door. The Lord uses our prayers to preserve us from death, to teach us to pray. The Lord uses our prayers. And I found myself praying, Lord, please let that man be in that chair one more time. One more time. For me. Let him be 
in the officer training one more Tuesday night. Let him be on Zoom one more Saturday morning for me because he was an encourager to me. And God is sovereign in all of these things, but he uses our prayers. You couldn't get to this place of worship. The end today of this business right here is worship. You couldn't get here apart from a car with some gas in it. Those were the means. The means to get you here for worship is car and gas. And the means God uses to preserve us from premature death is prayer. We're spared so many times, even apart from prayer, are we not? But the Lord has commanded us to pray. He wants to train us to pray so that we would see every answer to every single thing that happens in our life as His hand is there doing the delivering at all times. Now, before we pass on, I want to say one thing. There's so many times we've been spared from physical death and disaster apart from prayer. And it's God's prerogative to act apart from means. But... The salvation of your soul, the salvation of my soul, being right with God, it can only happen by the means of prayer. With me? There will be prayer if a person is going to be saved. Many of us can stop and we can think about how we've been spared from physical death apart from prayer. I know that one time my wife, I was sitting in McAllister Square in Tyler, Texas, and I got a call from my wife and she's sitting at a stop sign. Probably a big light. And she was hysterical. She watched somebody die. Just like that. She watched a truck fall off into a place where people were waiting on a bus. And she was hysterical. We've all said to ourselves, if I would have been there five seconds ago, I would be dead. We've all said that. I'm still alive and I can't believe it. But if you would be saved from the wrath of God, if you would be saved from spiritual death and separation from God, you're going to have to pray. And the chief exercise of our faith is prayer. If you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, how many times have we say already, you have to call on the name of the Lord. The psalmist called on the name of the Lord. Paul tells us in Romans 10 that we have to call on the name of the Lord and we will be saved. Let's ask ourselves the question, have you done it? And you say, well, now, Pastor, I, I don't know what to say. Well, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> because he tells us what to say. Let me give you some words. Oh, Lord, I beseech you, save my life. You say, Pastor, I don't know what to say. There are some very good words. Use those words. <laughs> Use those words. Let me, let me give you another prayer. The penitent thief on the cross, Luke 23. We heard a really good sermon preached on that at Presbytery last week. And so the penitent thief on the cross, he says this, Jesus. And he says it over and over. He doesn't say it once. He says, Jesus, 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 remember me when you come into your kingdom. Over and over he says this to Jesus. And so we've got these two thieves, these two robbers side by side. There's Jesus in the middle. They're both, all three of them in the extremity of death. Both of these men are wicked. Both of these men are hurling abuse at Jesus, just like the scribes, just like the Pharisees, just like the Romans, and just like everybody else. And all of a sudden, one of those thieves changes his tune. Instead of hurling abuse at Jesus, he starts saying Jesus' name. He first thing he did is he says, he looks at his companion on the other side and he says, have you no fear of God? <laughs> he says, this man hasn't done anything wrong. We have done it wrong. This is why we are here. He's confessing his own sin. He's confessing Jesus' innocence. 
What is going on here? What has changed them? We were talking about this at the men's uh, at the men's uh, enjoyment time uh, Friday night, the men's meeting. Has God's eye not diffused a quickening ray? What's going on with this man? He's concerned about his neighbor. He's concerned about his own soul. And he knows Jesus is innocent. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And there's no doubt where his faith is focused. His focus on Jesus. Wherever there is real faith, there's going to be prayer. And so he cries out to Jesus. And when Jesus is, listen, where is he? Is he in the extremity of his power? Is he in the extremity of his strength? Is he walking around, walking through people, knocking, knocking walls down? Is he telling people to come out of tombs? No, he's on a cross. This is weakness to the maximum. But it's this what the Bible says. The cross is the power of God and his salvation. In his weakest point, he can say to this man, what? Today, not next week, today you, sir, will be with me in paradise. So we move from absolute extreme pain and misery to total assurance. You're going to be with me in a few minutes in paradise. This is our condition. We're the man. We're the man on the cross. And apart from God's grace, we will continue to be hostile to Him. Apart from God's grace, that quickening grace into our, from God's eye to our hearts, we will not kiss the Son But Jesus, do you know one of the things that we didn't read, I didn't say? Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And this man is an answer to that prayer. And he still prays today. He's still seated on the throne at the right hand of God right now. And he's still praying for his people now. So that we would turn from our sins and embrace the Son and not throw aside his words, but kiss his feet. Today, he says... You shall be with me in paradise. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Well, before we go, let me just say one thing for our good shepherd, OPC. Think about the first thing that the penitent thief said. He said, do you have no fear of God to his companion? He's concerned for his companion. And we do that. We do pray. And I just want to remind you, you do need to pray. And he and um Mr. Blacklock prayed a really nice prayer today. He prayed for our lost family members. He prayed about those around us. And we need to be like this penitent thief who didn't last much longer than this prayer. We need to be concerned about those who do not know our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why does the Lord preserve your life from premature death? Well, He does it to teach us how to pray. He does it to teach us that we're precious. And third, He does this to teach you that you have unfinished business. If you've been delivered and you're here in front of me, you still have some business to do. I usually say that to young people. Young people, if, you, if you've been baptized but you haven't taken the Lord's Supper, until you sit down at the Lord's Supper, you have some unfinished business. And you, right now, you're alive and you're sitting in front of me. You have some unfinished business. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, for the, for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. In other words, God, before the foundation of the world, He's determined the works that you need to do and you're not going to be done until they're finished. You have business on earth, guys. 
We have business to do. And there's one man said, said it this way, God's servants are immortal till their work on the earth is done. There's a certain number of words. You know, we like to say that. There's a certain number of words that our wives need to get out every day. And there's a certain number of words that we all need to say until we finish the course. There's a certain number of works. There's a certain number of steps. We have pedometers, right? We were talking today, Mr. Mr. Stout and I were talking. And I asked him, I said, how many steps do you get per day? He said, about 12,000. God has a pedometer that we have to get so many steps in until we're done. Well, you say, what are the works that you're left for, are left to, to be done? Well, let me tell you something. Personally, there's unfinished business for you to do. Look at verse six or verse nine. He says this, I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's, there's, there's something he has to do. After he was delivered, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk before the Lord. And I, I didn't forget this. Years ago, I read this sermon by Alexander McLaren about this very passage. And he says that there were, there were a great deal of inhumanity going on in prisons in the 1800s. And he says men would be placed in solitary confinement. And in that, that, that cell, all these cells, there was a, there was a hole. And in that hole, these men would be in this solitary confinement. And through that hole, this, the jailer could, they spelled it in that sermon, G-A-O-L-E-R. You know, the old way to spell it. The jailer, our, we would say it, spell it different. The jailer could look through that hole at that man in solitary confinement. And, and these men in solitary confinement would be so bothered by this. They would be they, they they thought about it as the glaring eye. The eye that would be looking at them when they didn't know it, and that bothered them, and some of them were driven insane because of this glaring, unseen eye. But you know, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you're God's child, you're adopted into the family of God, you don't worry about God's eye being on you, do you? Well, I want to please that eye. We could go back and look at uh, Genesis 16 where Hagar says, you're the God who sees. You're the God who sees and cares. You're the God who, you're before me, you're behind me, you have me in your hand. You know the words I'm about to say before they're formed on my my lips. You know you saw me in my mother's womb being formed. But if you're wrong with God, if you're not right with God, then you will do everything in your power to make sure that I is kept off of you. You will suppress the truth, as we say in Romans 1.18, in unrighteousness. You will... I'm trying to figure out a way to explain this to the kids, but if you don't want that eye to see you, you go get the tape. And you know how we tape the door up out here where you can just open the door without it being locked? We get the tape and tape over every hole, every crack in my cell, so that God can't see me. If we could. And no doubt when Jesus returns, people are going to cry out for the rocks to fall on them. For the mountains to cover them so that this face and this eye can't see me. But those who are walking with God, they don't have to worry about that. But the psalmist seems to press us beyond just this personal walk before the Lord. He's pushing us to public business that's still left to be undone, to be done. 
Think about Steve Crutchfield at the very end of his life. I am. This is a great thing to be able to say. <laughs> this man was always here. Now, I know some people, once we get old, maybe we can't even get here. But this guy was always here. This guy was here a few weeks before he died. He was sitting right there twice, morning and evening. He was here, folks. He was lifting up the cup of the Lord. He was there when people were being baptized. He was present in the officer training with this little smile and his little baseball cap on. He was there. And this is what it means. I have things that are not, not they're left undone. I've got to get those things done. And he wants to do it with the people of God. That is the desire of the godly. How much does it mean to me and how much does it mean to you to see the oldest of our saints being wheeled in here in the wheelchair and worshiping God to the bitter end? It means a lot. And until the Lord calls you from this stadium floor to the press box above where you are going to receive the crown of righteousness, which is for all those who love His appearing. Until the Lord calls you up to hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant, you have business to do. Don't let anybody keep you from pleasing God personally. Don't let anybody keep you from worshiping God privately. Don't let anybody keep you from loving your family in the midst of the family. Don't let anybody keep you from being in your chair, folks. Come and claim your chair. I'll let you. <laughs> we, we, can, we can argue if we have problems without that later. right? Those people are always sitting right there. Right? <laughs> but be here so that we can fight over it a little bit. Right? <laughs> Be here. Don't let anybody keep you from public worship. Don't let anybody keep you from singing with all your might. Do you hear how you sing sometimes? Everybody comes to me and says, I've never been in a place that roars out these hymns. Sing with all your heart. Make a joyful noise. If you can't sing beautifully, sing a joyful noise. But be here and do it. And let everybody know about God's mercy and compassion and love. Well, let me end with this. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as we said earlier, He was a man in extremity. He was close to death all His life. Think about it as a little baby. Somebody's trying to kill Him. Herod the Great, He was a wicked man. Wow. Trying to kill a baby. And then Jesus is preaching and a whole group of people want to drive Him over a cliff. But it wasn't to be. Why? Because God wants to teach Jesus that He's precious to Him. The Bible says that Jesus was the apple of God's eye. This is my beloved son. This is the one who's well-pleasing to me. So he's teaching Jesus the same thing he's teaching you. He's teaching Jesus to pray. Out there he's praying. Out there in the wilderness. He's praying all night long at times. He's teaching Jesus to pray. And he's teaching Jesus that he has work to do until he says it is finished. He's going to get it done. He's got to get his words out. He's got to get his steps in. He's got to get all, all his works done. And then when he's done, then he can go to the cross. And listen, watch this, young people. He can go like this. All done. Isn't that right? Isn't that the sign for all done? That's all done. When you're eating, you know, you're feeding your child at the, at the table and they can't talk yet, you just you go like this. This is what they say, all done. That's what Jesus said on the cross. All done. I'm all finished. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. And what does he do? He doesn't stop fulfilling his vows. 
He's declaring the great compassion of God for sinners. He goes out and what what does he do first? Think about this. This is really sweet. This is what he does. He goes out and he finds Peter. I read that to the girls the other night. Why did he have to go talk and stop and talk to Peter? Well, Peter needed him to stop and talk because he had denied him three times. And so there's compassion. He has to stop and talk to Peter. And then he goes on and he talks to five, over 500 at one time. And what is he doing? He's fulfilling all his vows. He's preaching. He's going to ascend to the right hand of God. And then he's going to keep proclaiming these things to you through men. Come to me. Never stops. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me with your sin. Come to me with your grief and your sorrow and your losses. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm the good shepherd. We sang it and we read it. I lay down my life for you. I'm the one who leads you beside the quiet waters. I'm the one who can restore your soul. And I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be with your people from beginning of service to end. To fulfill the vows that you have laid upon us. To praise you, worship you, call upon your name. Thank you for teaching us that we are precious ones in your sight through faith in Jesus Christ. We do not belong to ourselves. Thank you for teaching us to pray. Thank you for teaching us that there's much business for us to do. Many words to say, many works to be done for your glory, for our good. Bless us now, we pray, as we finish our service with you. In Jesus' name, amen.